I'm really happy to have back on the program Anne Applebaum, staff writer at The Atlantic, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, author of Twilight of Democracy, The Seductive Lore of Authoritarianism, and someone who has met with Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, and we see him promoting the big lie. We've seen him going to the White House when Trump was there and talking about uh, engaging in all kinds of horrible actions like martial law. Uh, he had a notepad. You all remember that. And a lot of people laugh at him. And Ann Applebaum says the My Pillow guy really could destroy democracy. Lately, he's been promoting the idea that Donald Trump will be reinstated in August. Department of Homeland Security is concerned about terror attacks, domestic attacks, ter terror attacks connected to that. Ann Applebaum, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. So you first, I, I, I kind of want to just go through your thoughts on him before we even get to your talk with him. You write about him as an affable, self-made Midwestern, kind of a goofy businessman who makes his own infomercials. And like in all that sense, he doesn't seem like a threat, but you say he's a threat to the nation and has the money to spend uh, to spread these messages uh, on Fox News, Newsmax. Talk a little bit about his reach. So, yes, Mike Lindell is somebody who made a lot of money selling pillows on TV. Um, he's also somebody who came from, you know, a very modest background. He was at one point a crack addict. So he has a lot of self-confidence. He's somebody who's overcome a lot in his life, and he's become a successful businessman. And for reasons that are difficult to explain but um, are clear enough to him, he's become profoundly convinced that Trump won the last election and that the election was stolen thanks to Chinese intervention in the voting machines. It's a sort of, it's, a, it's an original theory. It's not one that's been promoted elsewhere. And he claims it's going to be proven between August 10th and 13th at a symposium that he's organizing in South Dakota. Um, and he's putting an enormous amount of money into this. He says he's invested already in in, in validating this information, which I, I can explain in a minute can't possibly be true. Uh, he's going to be promoting it. He's trying to sell ads that promote it. He's actually tried to sell ads on Fox, and Fox, in fact, refused to run his ads, um, perhaps because they're worried about lawsuits. Um, and he is profoundly – he's one of these people who is – um, so certain of, of himself and so certain of what he thinks he knows that he can't, you can't argue against him. You can't tell him that he's wrong. He doesn't believe you. He insists that he's right. And, and these kinds of figures, you know, I was interested in him because I know, I know of people like this from history. I mean, I, I've written books about the Bolsheviks and about extremist movements in, in history. Um, and he's somebody who in real life is, I think he's a genuine true believer. I don't think he's trying to make money off this. I think he genuinely believes it. Um, and he's going to bring a lot of people along with him. And those who, who don't live in his bubble and who don't watch Newsmax and OANN and who aren't in his, you know, in his, in his, in his Facebook bubble won't notice him and won't see it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people will be convinced by him because he's, as I said, he has great self-confidence, great self-belief, and a lot of money that he's putting into the idea that the elections were stolen. And he will add to the amount of money and talk and, and investment that others are putting into it. Um, and even if they don't succeed in, uh, in, in this August in, 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 their, in their task, that's not going to convince them that they're wrong. They will, 
they will go on believing this, they will go on believing the election was falsified, and they will cease to believe in the American electoral process. And that's really the long-term danger. You met him at a recording of Steve Bannon's podcast. Then you had a one-on-one lunch with him at a Uyghur restaurant where you picked apart (laughs) the contradictions in his claims. As you've just said, he's very confident and you just can't break through, Uh, especially about these communist conspiracies and, and attacks on his company. Tell us more about it. So, yes, yeah, so this was his suggestion, his suggestion. He was coming to Washington because he was going to be on Steve Bannon's podcast, which, by the way, has millions of listeners or many listeners. I, I can't tell you how many because the numbers aren't published, but it is it's ranked in the fifth, top 50 or 60 podcasts on Apple, which is which is significant. Wow. Um, and Steve Bannon's podcast is is completely dedicated all day long, every day to conspiracy theories and to the um, the big lie that that Trump won the election. Um, and so after that, I, I, I had arranged to meet him there, which was stressful enough. And then we drove to this restaurant. It was my idea because he's his 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 fear is of communism. So I thought, let's do something that will, you know, that might interest him. And, and we went to this to to a very nice Uyghur restaurant in Washington. And um, first of all, the, the first disaster was that he had not heard of the Uyghurs, so I explained to him who they were. They are a Muslim wow. minority in China who've been deprived of their rights and who have, who are are put in concentration camps. And and then and then we started to talk about communism. I'm a historian of communism. Um, I've I've written about it extensively. And to him, you know, I said, well, would it, you know, explain to me how communism is taking over America? And he said, well. You know, he said when Joe Biden, the first thing that he did when he came to office was that he announced the closure of the Keystone Pipeline and lots of, he says, union workers lost their jobs. And that I said, that's, you know, that's communism. Um, In his mind, it is. Um, uh, Communism also in his mind is the fact that there's been a lot of blowback against him. So um, because he's been promoting these conspiracy theories, he also promotes um, vaccine conspiracy theories, uh, there's been a there's been a kind of organized opposition to him and, and, and kind of consumer boycotts have convinced one or two retailers not to sell his pillows. This he also told me he's proven he's absolutely certain that this pushback is not American. It comes from China, that the Chinese have organized this boycott of his pillows. Um, and as I said, all of this he is utterly convinced of. To him, it's all logical and it makes sense. All the problems that he's having must have an, a higher explanation, and the higher explanation is that it's organized by China. Um, and you know, I, I am an enormous critic of the Chinese government. And as I said, I've written about communist crimes um, for many years, and 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 the history of of Stalinism in the Soviet Union. Um, but this is a this is a kind of fantasy by somebody who doesn't know what communism is and hasn't studied it or thought about it. At all, but to him, it's a convenient explanation for everything that's gone wrong for him, uh, and and it's a it's a useful insight into how conspiracy theorists think. You know, there something is going wrong. It's things are not how I believe they should be. Trump should have won the election, but he didn't. Um, I should be reaching ordinary Americans with my explanation of this fact, and I'm not reaching them. There must be a secret, you know. The cabal who are preventing, which is preventing this from happening. And the big enemy is China. So it must be China. And that is his way of thinking. And I'm afraid it's also the way of thinking of a lot of other people, too. 
And you argue that this conspiracy theory goes beyond the other far-fetched one, already has potentially profound geopolitical implications. That's your term. Why does this one stand out as doing more danger? Well, it was partly a joke about the geopolitical implications, but um, the, the the danger is in the in the, his ability to spread his message in his long term investment in this, which will not end, as I said in August, when it proves not to be true. Um, uh, and the danger is in the degree to which Americans cease to believe in their own political system, you know, in which they cease to believe in the fairness of our elections, in which they cease to believe in the legitimacy of our government. Um, and that may well result in the in coming years in the election, in particular, this is very critical in some states of local officials who also don't believe in the system anymore and who are therefore willing to change results. Um, and so paradoxically, um, his investment in this false theory may eventually get us to a point where we could have a genuinely falsified election, uh, where, for example, in one state or another, in Pennsylvania or in Arizona, um, local legislatures overrule the popular vote because they feel they have the right to do that. Um, and because the kinds of people who are now being attracted into public life and into public service are people who are willing to do that. Um, and so the the long-term impact of these broad conspiracy theories, um, although they seem crazy to, to, to you and me and many people listening to this program, um, could be quite profound. And so being aware of what they are um, and understanding, you know, what they are when you hear echoes of them in in the words of politicians. There was a Mar uh, Mark Meadows, Trump's former chief of staff, just a few days ago, gave an extraordinary interview in which he talked about the president, meaning Trump, meeting with his cabinet, meaning his former cabinet, um, and that they were now starting to, you know, move forward in a serious way. I mean, what does that mean? You know, these are people who are slowly becoming convinced that they're still in power. Um, and there will be right. lots of other people around who are also convinced that they are still in power or should be still in power. Part of understanding uh, him and the conspiracies and his role is looking at others in history. And, and you, as a historian, have looked at uh, people such as the Swedish banker Olaf Ashberg, who helped finance the Bolshevik Revolution, or, or Henry Ford, who pushed anti-Semitic ideas that even Hitler read. Uh, somebody who's influencing the people who will ultimately grab power. Talk a little bit about that. So pe people with money, and this this you can see in all kinds of different ways. You know, people who've been very successful financially in business, um, not always, but but sometimes become convinced that their success in business means that they understand a lot of other things too, and that they and that they should have a bigger role or a bigger say in politics. Um, and sometimes, and this is you can see this evidence of this, you know, in many, you know, they fund think tanks or they think they should speak more, you know, all kinds of in in all kinds of ways. Um, but there have been some people throughout history who have their self confidence again built by their experience building their businesses has led them to believe in dangerous conspiracy theories, and they have used their money to promote them. And as you say, you've mentioned the two examples that I mentioned in my article. One is uh, a famous Swedish banker who funded the Bolsheviks all the way through the Russian Revolution, even melting down gold that they, because the Bolsheviks funded themselves by through train robberies, okay? And they melted down the gold 
sold and resold it on European exchanges. Um, and Henry Ford, who was a really, a, you know, an extraordinary, you know, game-changing American businessman who invented the assembly line and all kinds of other things, who also invested a lot of money in anti-Semitic propaganda, um, including a book called The International Jew that was reprinted in German and was read by many in Germany, including Hitler, which we know because Hitler spoke about him. Um, and so, and the, and again, it's their self-confidence and their belief in conspiracy um, and their money combines to something very powerful. And a lot of people look at people like that and they say, well, look, he's successful. He made money. He's putting his money into this. There must be something to it. And so they have more impact um, than, you know, than, your, than, than, than ordinary conspiracy mm -hmm. theorists. And they're able to spread their message further. Um, and, and again, you know, we see examples of this over and over again in history. This is not something that's completely new. It's just that in contemporary America, we're not used to it or we're, we're surprised by it right. um, because we haven't seen it in some time. But we shouldn't be really. Why do you think, uh, and this may tell us more uh, about him, why do you think he agreed to speak with you? He knows certainly where you stand and your positions. Um, he also knows you're very influential. Uh, so what do you think was in his thinking on that? So I don't think he had the slightest idea who I was, oh, okay. actually. <laughs> fun, fun enough, um, funny enough, Steve Bannon did, um, who I'd never I'm met sure. before, but who he did know who I was. I mean, he, and he even said something about one of my books, but, um, I don't think he knew who I was, but he has a theory, which he expressed to me. And this is of course, also interesting for you and for your listeners. Um, his theory is that he, he talks to everybody, um, including people who will attack him because he thinks that even the people who attack him will help him spread his message. And there is something to this, you know, so he has a relationship with some journalists from Politico and from the Daily Beast and from some other magazines who he he refers to some of the time. Um, and he speaks to them and they, you know, they write articles making fun of him, but then he thinks that helps him spread his message. Whereas, for example, Fox, I think, is now quite wary of him, um, partly because they're worried about being sued because, you know, part of his elaborate thesis is that the voting machines were rigged um, and that the, the, the voting machine companies were in on it. And as you may know, mm -hmm. the, the voting machine companies have already sued him. Right. Um, and so so it may be that Fox is worried now about about the lawsuits coming from him. Um you know, or, 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 you know, it's, um, you know, that, that he has some kind of unreliable contacts and so on. Um, and so he thinks that wh whoever writes about him will spread his message. And so he's not really bothered whether it's positive or negative, but no, he didn't, he didn't, um, you know, and he has a way of speaking, which is sort of almost oblivious. You know, you can ask him almost any question, um, and you can try and interrupt him and, and nevertheless his, the flow of his speech continues. So mm -hmm. he's not, He's not really engaged with anybody else. He's just, you know, speaking, you know, things that he would say anyway. And it can be hard to follow because he constantly refers to incidents that, you know, that concerned him or appearance he's made in the media, which, of course, I didn't follow his all of his media career. So I didn't necessarily know what, it, what he was talking about. And I had to look it up later. Um, but it's it's also typical of this mentality. You know, they're not. He's not interested in the outside world. He's not interested in in mm -hmm. in hearing and engaging with ideas. He's simply absolutely convinced. I mean, it's a it's religious. It's a kind of religious belief. Um, right. I think that's the best way to describe it or explain. It. And he is he is himself a 
a convert or somebody who's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so who who is who's religious, you know, in the in the traditional wow. sense as well. Um, and this religious belief, this deep belief that I am right and I know something that other people don't know, and it's my mission to tell other people, um, right. is something again, you know, is something that many extremists have had before in history. Well, I encourage people to read uh, your piece uh, in The Atlantic, The My Pillow Guy Really Could Destroy Democracy. Ann Applebaum, thanks so much. It's always great to speak with you. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Ann Applebaum is a staff writer at The Atlantic, and you can follow her on Twitter at Ann Applebaum, two N's, and Applebaum, B-A-U-M. We're back in a few minutes. The, 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 Michelangelo, the Michelangelo Senior Ellie Show. Ellie Show.